When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Troy, I got to ask you a baseball question here. Sure. So the Phillies lose <laughs> to the Diamondbacks in Game 7 of the NLCS. Uh-huh. How often have you seen these kind of meltdowns when it comes to such a batting lineup like the Phillies have? Their four best hitters go, what, one for four, 13, one for 14 in the final two games and, and lose the last two to the Diamondbacks? That series would you believe turned on really one pitch if you want to go back to game three of the series when it looked like Philadelphia was about to really take control and instead the Diamondbacks get the walk-off that we talked about last week and win it and I think at that point Philadelphia lost some momentum Mm -hmm. I think they lost some juice that they had and uh the Diamondbacks, I, uh, the fact that last night, as an example, uh, rookie pitcher taking care of business, yeah. rookie drives in the runs, I mean, young players doing work, but a solid rotation. And uh, I, I would like to say that it's not all that much of a surprise. I mean, let's be honest, what did Philly do to the Braves offense earlier in the playoffs? It. It, it's amazing how playoff baseball can can really turn on one or two things. So when it comes to a Rangers-Diamondbacks World Series, a couple of teams that a couple of calendars ago were <laughs> 100 lost teams are or, now playing for a championship. In other words, you're telling me there's a chance, <laughs> Royal fan. <laughs> it can and, happen quick. Yeah, it can happen Sometimes. quick if, if yeah. you're working well. In the front office. Well, I was going to say, and also, you know, maybe your foreign system, and uh-huh. you know, maybe if you have one, right, at this point, right, exactly. Know, if it, you, if yeah, I, keep in mind, Dayton Moore is currently an advisor for the Rangers, so I don't look for them to be back there next year. <laughs> Welcome to the game, Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, David G, Travion Berklin, along with Owen Burke, running our board today, doing a little more training. Uh, busy day today, as uh, we'll talk, of course, more quarterbacks, and uh, we'll talk Patrick Ngangba. Uh, in our number two as well, who uh, and we'll talk with D.Y. about him here a little bit as well. We have the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, will be joining us at about 4.40 to talk Kansas City's win over the Chargers and getting ready for round two. Second uh, game in three weeks with the Denver Broncos. But guys, it's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Yes! AEW Dynamite is tonight from... 
just so happens to be the same town. The Phillies just lost Game 7 of the NLCS. So usually if I'll give you like a little bit of a preview of what the show is about, I'll give you two things. One, um, AEW's going to give something – they're going to give the Phillies fans something to cheer about, something to actually enjoy and not melt down. Uh, Come for the heel promos because they are going to tear apart the Phillies tonight. That that's just yeah, that's easy go to right. material yeah. to get some easy booze. Yeah, they're they're like thank you. <laughs> but guys, via the Zoom, we're joined by Derek Young from Case in Align. Joins us after a week off last week. Do I actually want to open up with the sign stealing? From Michigan, we learned more about that earlier today, that that Stallions guy not only was sending people to spy on the signals of 11 Big Ten teams, but also sent uh, guys to like four different teams that were not in the Big Ten to spy on signals. As an Ohio State fan, how are you dealing with this right now? I think it's hilarious just because it kind of, Puts a spotlight, obviously, on an arch rival in a negative way. But I'm also laughing at, like, the defense of it as if it's not some big deal. Yeah, you still have to stop them. But when you know it's coming, it's a lot easier to do that. And and on the front of everyone does it, not everyone is sending people to 20 different places in a year on multiple occasions, weeks ahead of time, just to film a sideline uh, that doesn't happen. And and in terms of seeing the sideline in other cases as well, that doesn't happen. Like they're like, what about the all 22 film Uh, that doesn't (laughs) include the sideline. So this is uh, definitely new territory and along the lines of really what the Houston Astros did, you know, several years ago on the major league baseball front. And it was clearly an operation that was, also, in my opinion, sanctioned by the Michigan staff. They're going to try to classify him as a, a rogue staffer, but I think that's hard to do when there's clearly video evidence that shows him like carrying a sheet with hand signals on it, so he can't be the only one aware of that when he's carrying it along the sideline and, and adjudicating based on that. And also, look at his salary. I think someone said his salary is like forty-five dollars to $50,000 per year. That doesn't really scream a monetary figure that can really buy these kinds of tickets every week. Nope. Not only that, but where did he have the time to put together a 500-page manifesto? That, that Yeah, <laughs> that kind of just screams, one, a little bit of arrogance, but two, kind of like insanity. Like this guy, I, yeah. this guy seems a little off the, the rocker as well. So you're not mad because, I mean, Ohio or uh, Michigan has won the last two, right, against Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. I, I For me, it's hard to get, like, mad over this kind of stuff. I just think you, here's another way of putting it. Like, if you ask me what head coach was capable of <laughs> not just maybe encouraging this type of behavior, but at least allowing it. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is probably at the top of the list. Yeah. I'm just trying to put myself like, what if it was Bill Self, you know, like if you put it in case AKU basketball terms, like if Bill Self was stealing signs or, you know, stealing whatever from Jerome Tang, I mean, or from Bruce Weber, it's like, as okay, opposed to as from Adidas, ha- hashtags storm the campus. <laughs> oh, yeah. At that point, <laughs> stop the steal, you know what I mean? Now, I'm not necessarily 
yeah, like at a furious state of mind about it. It's just like, well, you know, that makes a lot of sense yeah. more than anything. It kind of explains maybe the last two contests. And on top of that, I'm intrigued to see how you punish it. Do you just punish individuals? Do you ban them from postseason? I mean, this is pretty serious stuff that seems to be a lot of evidence that would, you know, really kind of guiltifies what Michigan has been doing. Well, I'll tell you what, we can put a pin in this. We can bring it up once again once it all gets resolved in about four years. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, we can talk about K-State's win over TCU 41-3 and actually also in the same – you know, at the same time, looking forward to the Houston game, but I'm actually going to lead off with kind of a line you opened up with with Mason after the game, and that's, um, you know, you talked about how maybe the coaches made it a little bit harder on them to make a decision in the future if they were to go with one guy. I'll let you kind of lead off with that. With K-State having Will and Avery alternate possessions and both look good, you know, how much harder did the coaches make it on themselves to, if they were to move forward with one guy, make that call? Yeah, and to clarify, it wasn't really necessarily a criticism. Obviously, it was a winning formula, one that, you know, the results speak for themselves. But it was a formula that since they basically went 50-50 right down the middle between the two and nearly and neither did enough to lose the job and neither probably did enough to, to you know, run away with the job either. It just it kind of kicked the can down the road and probably made it a tougher choice because both have at least shown flashes to this point that they deserve to be the number one guy, and both have kind of had moments where that haven't been the best. I think we saw some freshman mistakes for the first time last week with Avery Johnson when he got his first you know, extended bit of action, or maybe second, because you'd consider the second half against Texas Tech and, and Lubbock. So, yeah, I think it's a tougher choice to go between the two, and you know, having a 50-50 split right down the middle or alternating series, I just don't think that's necessarily a sustainable formula when, one, you're not going to have probably the amount of consistent success each week that you did against TCU. And two, you know, the tight games, that makes it really difficult where rhythm is going to matter. And three, I think it's just hard on a locker room um, because – you kind of want to unify behind one guy at quarterback. At least that's always been customary. I think you, you maybe are starting to contribute to something else. And, and you, you want a unison thing and not maybe a split or divided thing. And that's why always at some point a two-quarterback system tends to be either a failure or at least a little bit more problematic to navigate. But so far, it's working right now. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, I'll get the questions throughout the week, just you know, what I think about the game. But right now, the questions are from you know people outside the station or whatever. Is like, oh, so what's what's it going to be this week? How the quarterback's going to go? And I'm just like, I don't really, honestly, have a clue. There's like six or seven different answers, and maybe the only one you can know for sure is that well, probably Will Howard's going to start the game. That's about as far as you can go with it. But you brought up sustainable. Like you brought up that word sustainable. And that's kind of leads me to my next question about, okay, so if it is the two-quarterback system, how do you sustain that? Are you in favor of K-State just trying to quickly, you know, sooner rather than later maybe, you put it that way, of getting behind one quarterback? Or are you like, well, actually, we probably need to have both quarterbacks on the field because Avery Johnson is that good? 
at this point, I think it's tough to close the book on either one. So I think at least to an extent, I am still in favor of it being a two quarterback system until there is more delineation or distinguishing from one to the other. Like if one can really pull away, I just haven't seen enough of that to really go away from either one. And I think both bring something to the table that this team needs I just there there's moments where I still think Will Howard is the best choice. And there's moments where I still think Avery Johnson is the best choice. And the more experienced and comfortable that Avery Johnson gets, maybe the less you do need Will Howard, unfortunately for him, because in terms of what he can provide in terms for what this team needs, it's more of the experience thing and have a level headedness, especially if he's not giving away the football, I think he might be the right choice. But there's just an explosive and, and flashy element that Avery Johnson can give to this offense that it lacks when he's not on the field. And that's why you, you have to have him on the field at least a little bit. Um, you saw that against Missouri, and they probably didn't do enough in that game, or, or maybe they do win. So it's a tough thing for me. I do think that the, the one certainty is that Will Howard gets the first snap. Now, do they both get the first snap? They did last week. I thought that was a little bit of a troll job by the coaches and and certainly well played when they put both on the field at the same time and just brought Avery Johnson in as a wide receiver on a jet sweep and gave him the ball. But what I think is probably the best formula going forward is that Will Howard gets the first drive or two and then Avery Johnson gets the next drive or two and then kind of you know take it from there. And I think that was technically the plan against TCU, but it just worked out that alternating every series was a winning formula. I just don't think that's going to be the case every week, but I do think something similar to what the Texas tech game provided us is probably the recipe just because, you know, and I said it at the time, I wasn't a huge fan of, you know, removing Will Howard from the game after the first drive because he had scored. And then I felt the same way with Avery Johnson. So at some point, I think, it's almost like the running back position where maybe you give them both the crack, uh, two drives here, two drives there, and then you kind of go with the hot hand and let game flow dictate the direction. Uh, one more about the QBs. Um, you know, Will Howard, obviously, you know, he didn't throw an interception. He looked really good. Uh, as he outscored Avery uh, on their possessions, even though he had one more, 28-13. Was Will needing Avery breathing down his neck? threatening his time you know the amount of time he plays no i don't i don't think he needed that um he's a mature enough person he just needed to take care of the football really and not throw put balls up for grabs as much as he was so i i don't i don't believe that and to be honest it's probably more of a negative than a positive because i think you play better at least will howard does when he doesn't have to look over his shoulder we're speaking with Derek Young from K-State Online. We take our break. We're on a tight schedule. So when we come back, let's get to recruiting. And it's not just football. It's basketball. Big recruit visiting this week. We'll talk about that with D.Y. when we come back on the game. It's the game on K-Man. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, David G., Travion Berkland, Owen Burke. A lot of dudes here today. A lot of dudes. A lot of <laughs> people learning. People learning. Uh, Travion right now is training Owen. Um, 
We're back with Derek Young from Case Online. I was trying to observe what he's doing, but they're actually they're just waiting on me, maybe, to make their next I hope make it, their next move. Hope it goes better than yesterday, because uh, you know Troy was giving him a lot of info, and Owen was like, "Whatever kind of deal, you know," and was just. Uh, <laughs> All right. Know. So the next move is uh, I'm going to ask this next question, and as soon as I ask the question, Travion is going to pod back up um, Derek Young. Uh, as we continue with Derek Young from K-State Online, let's go to recruiting now because this is a pretty big weekend for K-State Hoops as we are a week out of the Cats playing their exhibition against Emporia State. Patrick Nagongba, big kid, 6'10 out of Virginia. He's a five-star recruit. The big boy has it now down to three. It was announced today. It's K-State, Duke, and Kentucky. So obviously, not only a big guy, this is a big weekend for K-State basketball how much work has been put in by this staff leading up to this visit this weekend? I don't think that I've ever seen a particular coaching staff recruit one player, football or basketball, in the time that I've covered recruiting than what Kansas State and Jerome Tang have put into recruiting Patrick Gungba. Point blank. Point blank. Is that the social media aspect or are you talking what we don't see day to day behind the scenes? Both. Nobody, they haven't gone and watched any other player more than they have Patrick Gongba. They haven't gone to, for, to, you know, the high school of any other player more than what they have Patrick Gongba. No other school has gone to see the kid more than they have. No one's, you know, invested as many resources as they have in a particular recruit than kids they has with Gompa, like with any recruit. Like the amount of investment, both from a time and probably monetary standpoint as well, has been put into what Kent State has for Patrick Gompa. And that doesn't even include, you know, the entire what seems to be social media campaign for him mm-hmm. as well. So, um, yeah, just everything. Uh, there is nothing has slipped through the cracks in terms of what they can do to land the kid. So if if they don't, um, it doesn't mean it was a waste of time because when you can, you have the inside route to land a player like this. You need to go all out for him. But I guess that you can't you can't say that you didn't unturn every stone imaginable to try to land him. This is, though, the aggressiveness that many had been crying for or wanting with a K-State basketball staff. Absolutely. So, uh, and at this point, man, I don't know that I would call Kansas State a favorite. I think they can be a favorite with an excellent visit. And I think they are still within striking distance. And I think they have been the top school or one of the top two schools for the duration of his recruitment. And I don't think that has changed. I still think it's going to be Kansas State or Duke. Okay, so UConn, Michigan, those being left out of the top three, would that either of them a surprise to you? A little bit of UConn. They're the defending national champions, and that's where you know one of his best friends, a cousin, it's basically like a brother to him, is going to play in oh. Isaiah Abraham. So uh, a little surprised there wasn't the inclusion of UConn, and instead it was Kentucky. But I think – that three and four was probably pretty close. But like his offer list, I mean, was it just jam-packed full yep. of blue bloods? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Michigan's in there as well. And it's just the uh, 
you know, Kansas State, the amount of time that they were willing to invest in the kid and and Dream Dowling and the United States Virgin Islands connection that he has to Patrick Gongba and his parents and and knowing him since he was four or five years old, being the first to offer him when he was at North Texas. Dream Dowling was at North Texas and he was the first get, first coach to offer Patrick Gongba at that time, got to Kansas State, offered him again right away. So um, he definitely knows where he stands with the Kansas State coaches. They prioritized him from the jump. All right, so again, big weekend for K-State Hoops, not only just you know getting ready for the year, but Patrick Nagongba in town. It, it, he's going to get here Friday. Is he staying a couple of days? Do you know? Yeah, official visits are usually like a 48-hour kind okay. of thing. Or, you know, they'll, get, they'll arrive on Friday and take off sometime on Sunday. And I would say, yeah, if you're a Kansas State fan, if you see him around <laughs> campus or in Manhattan, um, I'm sure I sure think it would probably – look very good upon Kansas State if he was recognized as much as possible. Well, any idea who takes over for Marquise Noel as like that lead player recruiter? You know, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, that was more so with transfers anyway, um, mm-hmm. because he was only, it was just him and Ish. So I think he he felt it very paramount to do it because uh, there was only two of them and he, and he wanted to win a championship very badly. Um, I think that is probably needed a little less now since you have more complete of a team. But I think, you know, it's everyone, really. I think it's more of a collective effort rather than one guy really, you know, circling the wagons. Well, now as we – I want to touch on football, you know, I'd like to know how big of a recruiting weekend was this for football – with the TCU with the TCU games, I know they flipped a couple of guys. Are there's and those were that was Topeka Seaman safety Callan Barta, Mount Vernon Texas linebacker Boone Morris. I mean, is there still on the horizon maybe some decisions coming from this past weekend? Yeah, it's possible. They had four official visitors in total. Those two, um, North Texas receiver commit Jaquez Bradley Demps, also from Texas. Um, he's yet to decommit or do anything, and he seems to be willing to take his time. And he's also considering TCU um, and Virginia, I believe, as well. Jay Sean Ross, who's an elite pass rusher from Kansas City, who just got offered by Alabama. Uh, probably wait and see to see if that visit to Tuscaloosa will take place. But Kansas State's probably at least out in front of Nebraska and Oklahoma for him. So it's it probably depends on how much he wants to pursue this new offer from, from Alabama. And then you had plenty of 2025 targets that were also in attendance. So it wasn't just the official visitors from you know the current recruiting cycle. It was also recruiting ahead as well. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. But I, I highly suggest anybody that wants more commentary on K-State football, obviously check out K-State Online and check out the KSO show. Mason Voth has been spearheading that. As the, uh, how, many, how many videos a week are you guys doing for the KSO show? Uh, man, I don't, I don't even know. I think we just, you know, we're on, we got the KSO show. It's on obviously multiple audio platforms, but on the YouTube as well. I think we just try to have in some shape or form, new content from a multimedia perspective every single day. And of course you got the three mile podcast as Cole last week did an interview with, uh, 
Avery Johnson. Yeah. But and then the Power Cat game day that that me and you are both on as well. So um, no shortage of appearances for me in a given week. Oh man, yeah, you're busy and I am too. But you do way more shows than I do. Uh, boy, we got to get up early, don't we? Uh, you're reminding me. The, <laughs> the, the bad part of uh, of doing, uh, you know, you got four straight night games, and now we're getting up at seven a.m. for Power Cat game day. So Dy, we need to get a rest. I'll let you go. Thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you on Saturday morning. See you then. Derek Young from Case and Align joins us here on the game. Again, we're on a tight schedule, so when we come back, short break, voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, will be on this very show when we come back. Dynamite weather report there, Travion. I was looking at uh, the future forecast. I'm actually going to bring this up to Joe Schartz when I record my pregame interview with him later. Because Friday, high of 66, wind's going to show up, but that cold front comes in, right? Mm-hmm. And then Saturday, football weather, 44, 50% chance of rain. And then the whole week is in the 40s until the next Friday, back to 66. So the Indians of Manhattan lucking out with the uh, the weather these next two weeks. Can I I, I know what he's going to say. I already I have my crystal ball. You know, those are things we can't really control, you know, Mitch, and those are uh, we're worried about things we can't control, like taking care of the ball, making sure we're not making any stupid penalties or any mistakes. He's going to shoot ourselves in the foot, and we're going to do what we're going to do is we're going to trade. We're going to try to go out there and we're play assignment, sound football, and we're taking care of business. We got a big opponent coming up, Wichita Southeast. Got to take care of business. Yeah, your interview's done. Do you know Joe Schartz? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Because if you don't, that might offend somebody. No, I know. You know what? He. Was such a good sport when we had the boys in here after the state championship and people were doing their own coach, yeah, like versions of their coach. He was a good sport about that, so I I don't think he'll be too offended. The Kansas City Chiefs have now won six in a row. Kansas City six and one after a 31 17 victory over the LA Chargers at Arrowhead Stadium. Now, up next, it's another matchup with the Denver Broncos Sunday at 325. We're now joined by the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. Before we get to Kansas City, Mitch, how about this two-quarterback system right now for K-State that led to a 41-3 victory over TCU? I uh, like it very much, and I'll tell you why. And it rarely works, but in this case, one, the fact that both of those guys can handle every bit of the offense. It's not like, oh, gosh, Avery's just a runner. And Will's the passer. They both can be equally as effective in whatever they're asked to do. They both seem to have a command of the offense. They both um, seem to have the respect of their teammates and each other. Those are all boxes you got to check to pull off the two-quarterback uh, maneuver, and that's why it's very rare to pull it off. But if anybody can, based on what I saw, and they've already proven it in that game, that K-State can do it. And if you can do it, it becomes... A, it's uh, it's such an effective weapon because defensively, you really have to put together in a way two game plans. So I I love it. I think it's great. And the whole adage of the cliche of oh, it doesn't, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. I don't think that's the case with K State. Nope, I don't think so either. I'm I'm enjoying it right now. It's working. Um, yep, it's working. Patrick Mahomes passed for four. And I love I love the fact that who's going to start? Well, both of them will start. And they <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but the, the detractors against Coach Clayman and K State are going. Oh yeah, okay, that's cute. Right, you could just hear that. I could hear the groans around. And, uh, for K Staters, are like, oh, this is kind of fun. They're both starting. 
Well, I was about to ask because Mahomes just passed for 424 and four touchdowns. I mean, he threw it all over the yard to a whole bunch of boys. I mean, how did Matt Nagy get it done without lining up Patrick Mahomes at wide receiver? <laughs> well, he wants to do that, but, you know, uh, we may run Gabbert and him out there at the same time as well, but let's hope not. Um, honestly, it ended up being uh, so the no man's land. Uh, it was kind of some scheme. It was also the receivers. Kelsey can do it in his sleep. But Marquez Valdez-Scantling, honestly, with the Chiefs, there's two plays every time they throw the ball. And because of Mahomes' ability, and one thing we've overlooked here is when you look at the pressure rate and sacks, the Chiefs are number one in the league and only allowing seven sacks. And the pressure rate against them, the Chiefs are third in the league. So they're giving Mahomes some time to maneuver and kind of move around, and he's got this radar in his head that's like this laser that stops him like uh, one of those underground like dog fence things where you can't see it, but it stops him right at the line of scrimmage. But what MVS did in the 46-yard touchdown was like, oh, I'm going to add lib here, but I'm going to add lib in like the uh, most correct way. And then Rashi Rice is learning to do it. He's had three games in a row now where you're going, okay, well, that's working, and then Kelsey can do it in his sleep. So some of it is scheme, a lot of it is execution. Most of it are these guys getting on the same page and playing with the unique style that is required to play with Patrick Mahomes. What is Kansas City going to try to get out of McCole Hardman with his now second run with Kansas City? Well, already, I mean, I think there's a lot. That 50-yard punt return, I think the Chiefs Kingdom was like, okay, he's still got that. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the Jets didn't have him return any punts or kicks, zero. Uh, and then he catches the cell across for a first down. If the Chiefs get a field goal, they're up 10, but they didn't burn up any timeouts. The fact that he got that first down, they get they end up getting a touchdown, but the Chargers were forced to use their remaining timeouts. That was a big play and a hard play. He got hit hard, and that's a tough route to run in the red zone. So what Hardman does, you guys, can affect the game when he does not have the ball, meaning he's such a threat on those jet sweeps and flip passes, he can get to the edge so much faster that two things happen. One, defenses have to to defend the shifts and motions even more than they did before that the Chiefs use all the time. I think they're second in the league in using shifts and motions. And then... The pass rushers, when you're playing these elite pass rushers like Bosa and Khalil Mack last week, uh, and then the guys we're playing this week are Nick Benito's really good. They got Baron Browning back. You have to wait a click. Because if I'm sitting there and you're running a jet sweep my way, I can't just run myself out of the play. But what the Chiefs have shown, they'll run right under the armpit of that pass rusher and ends up being a touchdown. So he can affect it when he, uh, McCall, when he's got the ball in his hands, but he also can affect it when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and just make some other things start to cook. I'm excited about it. Speaking with the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis on the game. Got a couple of questions about the defense's performance, and I want to talk about a couple of guys. Um, You know, the defense shuts out the Chargers in the second half, but for the first time in six games after signing him, after sitting out a league-mandated suspension, we got to see defensive end Charles Aminahue finally play and I know it's only been one game he got a sack a couple of uh you know hurries on the quarterback um but it, it, does it feel like Kansas City's going to get a good return on their investment on Charles Aminahue oh boy 
did we get a good look at Charles Amenahu. Now, when we did our training camp reports, I think I alluded to it because I saw this spring and summer prior to camp of like, oh my gosh, he could be a force. He was a force in this game. When the Chiefs, and they'll rotate, mix and match, and Felix is part of this, right? He'll rotate in. But when they went with the group, when I reviewed the video, and it was Chris Jones at left defensive end, Amenahu playing inside left, inside right was a combination of Turk Wharton or Felix or, or Mike Dana. And then you put Karloftis on the right defensive end. It, you're, I was like, you're blowing past the 90s Chiefs. You're going all the way back to the Super Bowl four Chiefs because you're seeing complete dominance and explosion at three and a half of those four positions. They absolutely devastated the Chargers when they had that group out there. And much of it was due to Amenahu, who can play inside and outside. And then his tip pass led to the interception uh, that stopped uh, the Chargers in the red zone. Another play I want to bring up is uh, somebody who I feel like is having a very unlucky uh, 2023 is Nick Bolton uh, because he had that sprain, yeah. that ankle sprain. He misses three games. And then now he finally comes back, plays a couple of games, fourth quarter, hurts his wrist against the Chargers. More serious than I thought it was going to be. He's now going to be out potentially two months. So how big of a blow is that for Kansas City's defense? Well, Drew Tranquil has been a godsend. He's another guy I talked about this spring and summer. But it is a blow. Now, where I think the Denver Broncos, because now we're going to get to Denver here in a second, I'm going to sound the alarm right now about him. But I think that what the Chargers were able to do in the first half is a little bit of a blueprint, meaning they go to regular personnel, force you to be in base, and then just run at you. And Drew's a really good player, but he's the he's a Mike. But is he more of a will playing Mike than Nick Bolton? It's it's a blow to the defense. It's especially a blow in the run game and uh, defending the run game and being a countermeasure of teams just lining up and running power O's or leads or uh, combo blocks on you. So, uh, for sure, yes, uh, it's a blow. But at least the Chiefs have some measure of a replacement instead of having no answer. Well, you're right, Mitch. Next I'm going to ask about the Denver Broncos. It's round two, and the first round was just 13 days ago. That game 13 days ago was the the Harrison-Bucker game. You think we'll see more of touchdown-driven Kansas City and Denver this week? Well, the Chiefs are only one of five in the red zone. They have the ball up to 13, the 11, the 3, and the 7. Now, I'm going to give Denver a ton of credit here, and I'm going to sound the alarm, because if there was ever a definition of a trap game, this is it. Mm-hmm. They go, oh, it's looming ahead. I'm not even going to say what's looming ahead. Because, you know, Coach Reed has been on everybody to focus on the Denver game. But, the Chiefs have been hot and cold in the red zone. It's not like they're awful in the red zone. It's just that they've had these clunker games. That's one of them. 0 for 4 against the Jets is another. So it's a matter, and they were they were better in the red zone against the Chargers, uh, and some of it was due to measure of what we talked about. Rashi Rice's play at the back of the end zone was awesome. Uh, as I said in the play-by-play, 9 and 3 quarters yards deep in the 10-yard end zone. But... Denver's been stingy. They backed up the 19 they allowed to Kansas City with only 17 against Green Bay. And so the the uh, Bronco defense, which was giving up yards and points at a historic rate, uh, has stopped that. And 
So uh, they they are uh, they're going to play with a lot of confidence against the Chiefs uh, when the Broncos are on defense. So the challenge is there, and so Kansas City is going to have to play its game. You know, Mitch, to wrap up here, I was just thinking about it. You know, if you really wanted to, you could replay your old days of calling K-State and the Chiefs at the same time. You could drive to Manhattan, go to the game. It's 11 a.m., then maybe drive to Salina, fly out to Denver, and you can make make both games work easily. Could you pull it off? You know what? Those two years of doing that, <laughs> I think I, I used up all of my uh, fuel, uh, literally, uh, in those two years because – that's a whole other thing that we'll do sometime is just sit down and talk about those two years. Yeah, I could pull it off. I'd love to do it, but I'll be, I'll be watching as much as I can before we leave uh, to go to Denver. Uh, but I'm going to – I'll skip being a, in person for both games. <laughs> well, darn it, Mitch, you're going to miss a great game. But I, as always, I, uh, I appreciate your time, and we're going to listen to you on Sunday with kickoff at 325 right here on News Radio KMAN. Mitch – Appreciate it. We'll, we're going to talk to you next week. Thanks, boys. Everybody that's in the Chiefs' kingdom has got to focus on this game. No game happens the following week. It's not going to happen. You've got to focus on this Denver game. Uh, there's enough there, including the Denver runners as runners uh, and receivers, that pose a problem. I will focus on this game Saturday at uh, 2.35. Thanks, Mitch. You got it, bro. Thanks. That's Mitch Holtz's voice of the Chiefs. We'll take a final break. We'll wrap up our one coming up next. All right, to wrap up Hour 1, some conference realignment news. The American Athletic Conference has found its replacement for SMU. As Southern Methodist will be uh, heading to the AA, uh, the ACC rather next year, the AAC has found Army to join up starting next year. Let me A couple of things real quick. One, I find it way more interesting Army joining the American <laughs> than SMU joining the ACC mm-hmm. because Army has been known for not being – has been independent for most of its time. Correct. Other than a short run for Conference USA. But you remember the show when I suggested that the Big 12 should add Army? Uh-huh. That's like they are an hour outside of New York City. <laughs> we we want markets, right? <laughs> Let's go get New York City. Let's go, baby. You're basically, actually, you're also kind of getting the nation, right, when you have Army? <laughs> Interesting it mentions Navy game intact. It says nothing about Air Force. I read that they will. They I, are they, gonna they're going to have to. It's the Commander's-in-Chief trophy, but right. I just find it interesting. All eyes are on Navy. Nothing gets said about Air Force, who, by the way, keeps winning the Commander-in-Chief trophy. <laughs> All right, guys, when we come back, more on Kleiman and Klein continuing to make decisions about the quarterbacks. We do not envy them. Plus, your local news next.